0: Longtime listeners to the podcast know that I am obsessed with Mithras candles. They are the most beautiful beeswax candles I have ever seen, and they're handcrafted in Philadelphia. Mithras candles smell intoxicating, and they look even better with their wizardly dripped pillars. They also come in a variety of other shapes, from pyramids to tapers to tea lights, and they give off a warm and gentle glow. I have tons of Mithras candles, and I can't get enough. And now you can get some too by going to MithrasCandle.com and using offer code WITCH for 10% off your first order of 2019. So go to MithrasCandle.com. That's M as in magic, I T H R A S, candle.com, and use code WITCH for 10% off your first order of the year. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to the Witch Wave. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you're enjoying the ever so slightly longer days that we're starting to get here in the Northern Hemisphere. I know I certainly am. Now I want to kick off this episode by actually addressing something that keeps coming up quite a bit for me and in general, and which today's guest, Juliet Diaz, speaks with me about. And that is this idea of appreciation versus appropriation of a culture that you were not raised in or that's of a background that you don't share, particularly when it comes to witchcraft. A lot of listeners, particularly listeners who are white like I am, write into the show And they genuinely, sincerely want to do better and want to make sure that their spiritual or artistic practices aren't hurting or offending other people or exploiting them in any way. And because we talk about this topic on the show pretty consistently, people send me all kinds of questions. Questions like... Is it okay if I worship a goddess that's outside the religion I was raised in? Is it okay if I'm a white person who draws pictures of Mexican deities? Is it okay that I have been practicing Hinduism since I was 17, even though I'm not Indian? I'm 55 now. Is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay? I truly appreciate these emails and messages because it shows that people are questioning their intentions, leading with compassion, and becoming aware that they and many others of us have a lot of work to do regarding dismantling our privilege and racism and colonialism. I'm grateful that we're living in a time and a place where we're interrogating our actions and committing to living with more care, respect, and humility. All of that said, my response to inquiries like these is that there are no easy answers. There is no one court or judge or arbiter of what's okay, and it is certainly not me. Furthermore, no group is a monolith, so what might offend or hurt some people within a certain community or demographic may not offend or hurt others who identify in similar ways. If we're going to commit to learning and doing better, what we're committing to is an ongoing process. That means there's no quick switch you can flick to help you decide whether or not to do something. I mean, let's be clear. There are certain things that are just universally offensive, and I hopefully don't need to go into what those are. But for many of these kinds of questions, there is no one easy blanket answer. And that means we need to open ourselves up to shifting our attitudes and practices continually throughout our lives. It also means each of us taking responsibility for educating ourselves and for evolving our behaviors. And it means knowing that we're going to mess up sometimes, but to do so not only with apology, which is very important, but with a true willingness to change and modify our behavior going forward. That can mean changing words we use, images we share or create, or ways in which we make or spend our money. Now, I personally can't answer every question about what's okay. But with this podcast, you are witnessing me try and educate myself. It's one of the reasons why I make sure my guests often have different lived experiences than I do. Yes, that's so I can cast as wide a circle as possible with this show, so my various types of listeners feel seen and heard and spoken to. But it's also because I'm a genuinely curious person who wants to learn. That's work that I get to do with this show, and I get to have a ton of fun doing it, but it's also work that I believe every single human being can and frankly should be doing. So if you want to see if some of your practices are okay with a group, why not find out from them? (laughs) This doesn't mean just showing up and knocking on someone's door and expecting them to educate you because... Well, that's incredibly rude, and you are not owed the time, or in many cases, the emotional labor, or in many cases, the pain that goes into educating someone. And anyhow, in my experience, a lot of these conversations are best broached between people who have an already established friendship and genuine trust or rapport built up. And those things only come with time and mutual respect and caring about each other. Now, if you feel like you just don't have access to folks who don't look like you or worship like you or have a similar background, or you're just really shy, then at the very, very, very least, you can do loads of listening and reading and learning from other people. I make it my business to follow a lot of queer people and people of color on Twitter and Instagram. I go out of my way to read books by authors who are different from me and watch films or listen to music that's made by people who don't look the way I do. And I do this because, again, it's genuinely interesting to me. And I've always been someone who likes to have my perspectives broadened. But I also do this because it helps me become a more informed and hopefully more sensitive and compassionate human being. Having Juliet Diaz as my guest on this episode was such a gift because we talk about many, many things, including such topics as the ways in which indigenous cultures get commoditized, as well as how we can all better listen to and learn from each other. But as you're listening to this conversation, remember that she and I are just two people doing our best to figure this all out. It's up to each of us to keep questioning, keep growing, and keep being uncomfortable so we can more deeply connect to ourselves, to each other, and to spirit. I can't wait to share the conversation between Juliet and myself with you. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Maggie writes, I am a baby witch who has felt the pull to witchcraft my whole life. I've dabbled over the years, but I kept returning to Catholicism. I was raised Catholic, and I went to parochial school. As I dig deeper into witchcraft, I am struggling with this nagging feeling that what I'm doing is wrong. I can see it for what it is, Catholic guilt and a patriarchal religion that has controlled me most of my life. But that doesn't quiet the voice because it's so deeply ingrained. Witchcraft feels like home to me. It feels positive and like I am taking control of my identity and womanhood. Did you experience this when you became a witch? Did it change or become quiet the longer you practiced? Are there any suggestions you have for me? They would be very appreciated. Hey, Maggie, I use the term spiritual practice a lot because it has that operative word practice. A practice is something we keep doing over and over and over again. It's a commitment, a discipline, and takes repetition and time and work. But the beauty of that is practice becomes habit. And right now, it seems like some of your old thoughts and habits haven't quite dissipated yet. Now, you already wrote the words I think you need to hear. You said, I can see it for what it is, Catholic guilt and a patriarchal religion that has controlled me most of my life. So you already know where this voice is coming from. Still, if you need an outside voice to assist you a little bit, then listen to mine and listen to these words. Maggie, you are in control of yourself. Your interior life belongs to nobody but you. You get to define how your spirituality is expressed, and you get to love whatever it is you love with your entire heart, now and always. There is nothing wrong with practicing witchcraft. I will also say, as I have so often, that you do not have to give up Catholicism or any other religion in order to be a witch or practice witchcraft if Catholicism or parts of Catholicism still speak to you. I'm a practicing pagan, but I haven't entirely stopped being Jewish, even if my relationship to Judaism has changed shape. Getting back to you, I know several people who identify as Catholic witches, if that helps. But on the flip side, if turning away from Catholicism is something you need to do right now, you get to decide that too. You are in charge of deciding how your own spirituality is experienced. If there is something that is drawing you to learn more about witchcraft, trust it, trust yourself and maybe talk or read about others who were raised in different religions and who gravitated towards some kind of witchcraft practice themselves. I'm not sure that the author Sue Monk Kidd would describe herself as a witch, but Her book, The Dance of the Dissident Daughter, speaks to how she turned away from a very judgmental, patriarchal, religious community and began her search for the divine feminine. So reading her or books by authors with a similar experience can really help you feel less alone. And to answer one of your questions, absolutely, I've gone through various phases of worrying what people thought of my witchy ways, especially when I was younger. But the longer I've practiced and the more love and aliveness it's brought into my life, the less I care about what other people think. And Maggie, I truly believe that as you go further down your path and practice more, you'll let go of your perceived outer critics and your inner ones too, bit by bit. It's a process and it is a practice. Good luck, keep me posted, and happy practicing. Now, on to my guest. Juliet Diaz is a healer, seer, and herbalist and she holds a Master's of Science in Herbal Medicine. She is a descendant of a long line of witch healers from Cuba and has indigenous roots as a member of the Taino tribe. Juliet owns and runs her shop, November Sage Apothecary, and her online witchcraft learning community, November Sage Herbarium, a witch healer school. She is also the author of the book Witchery, Embrace the Witch Within, which comes out from Hay House on March 5th. On this episode, Juliet and I discuss her various healing practices, as well as issues of culture, craft, and commodity, and how to heed the hero's call. Juliet joined me via Skype from her home in New Jersey. Julia Diaz, welcome to the Witch Wave. Thank you for having me. Hi everybody. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you for joining me and i am so excited to talk to you about so many different things i have this paper in front of me that is covered with scribbles and notes and questions because there are so many different directions i want to go in but before i get over excited why don't we start with the basics so you are the founder of november sage apothecary you run the school of witchery and you are an author of a new book that's coming out soon called Witchery, Embrace the Witch Within. So I would love to hear you talk a little bit about all three of those projects. Why don't we start with the apothecary? How did that get started?
1: Well, the apothecary started after a life crisis. Before that, I actually was in forensics for about three and a half years. And as with all things that I've tried before, I was very successful at it but somehow I felt like the universe just kept stomping at me or putting this big mountain in front of me redirecting me. Throughout my entire life I felt like I knew what my purpose was or my mission but I was I wasn't really paying attention to it and then it came to that point where everything was just falling apart around me. I mean, I lost my career, I was divorced and I lost my house. I fell on my knees and I said, "Okay, I surrender. I'm ready. I know you want me to walk another path. It was literally overnight. I just started making decisions of what I wanted to do. I said, you know what, my lifestyle is something that is, has always made me happy, which is my magical lifestyle. The remedies that I make growing up with my mother and having this magic life and healing others. And I decided that that was going to be the path That I wanted to do. And I kind of always knew that was my purpose in life, but I never really acknowledged it. Once I acknowledged it, it just took off from there. And I'm really grateful for it.
0: Wow. Okay. So (laughs) there's (laughs) so much to unpack there. Just for people who maybe haven't been on the November Sage Apothecary site, and is it a physical store as well, Juliet? Yes, it became a storefront last year. Fabulous. Congratulations. And that's in New Jersey. Yes,
1: in Palisades Park, New Jersey. New
0: Jersey, hey! So this apothecary, you sell healing bath and body products, you sell ritual products, candles, books, and you also have this amazing mission of sourcing from indigenous people, of being plastic free, of being tree free in terms of your packaging, which I want to hear more about. So you are selling all of these healing wares and healing modalities. How did your career in forensics inform the next step? I understand you had a lot of signs pointing you to the fact that you had to change your life, but how did you get from forensics to healing?
1: It was just something that was always a message in my visions. I've always had dreams of my ancestors And we're very big on ceremony and ritual with my family and messages will come through all the time. This is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be a healer. And I think, you know, that self-doubt, like, why me? Why would I be able to be a healer when it's so hard to have this career? It's not something that, you know, takes off for everybody. Um, So I had a lot of doubts in my mind, especially being a mother of two little boys. Like, how was I going to survive? How was I going to pay the rent? And at the same time, be the great representative to my indigenous people and to serve my purpose with truth, not just make it about money. So it was really, really complicated, something that I had to fight through some lessons, but eventually um,
0: I got through it and I made a decision to, to make this my whole life. Incredible. And when you say forensics, my familiarity with that word is from television. Can you explain to us what was your day to day job like and, and what got you started in forensic in the first place?
1: Well, since I was very little, I wanted to do something with healing. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to save animals. It was always something about helping people. As I grew older, I was very into science. I'm still very into science. I mean, who is it? I decided to do forensics because you work with dead people. And yes, that's exactly why I wanted to do it, because I'm able to see and hear and communicate with spirits. And I'm very good with observing an area because I'm also OCD. I could see when things are out of place. I'll notice little things that other people might not notice. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like a really good career for me where I could make a difference and at the same time use my gifts. And it actually took off and I closed a lot of cases. I actually started just working on crime scenes where children were involved. I went into the cold cases and I started knocking out cases that were cold for a lot of years. And using my gift, my intuition, and of course, being able to channel all of the material that I had in these files, I had team members who knew about my, you know, quote unquote glyphs, and they were okay with it. They were just like, don't, you know, tell everybody about it. Let's keep it a secret between our team. But just like everything else, a lot of us who are very in tune, the energies really took like a toll on me. That it was always negative energy. It was really heartbreaking to go through all these cases and go through these crime scenes. And it just eventually just ripped me apart where I was just worried all the time.
0: Mm. Yeah, it was pretty bad. How long were you doing that for? That was about a year and a half. Okay. And so you're doing forensics, you're closing these cases, you're using your intuition and also your background, you know, in scientific training, I imagine. And mm-hmm. you come to this point where you just can't take it anymore. And you start to have a lot of these, I would call them psychic breaks. Is that a fair way to classify them? It's perfect. Yes. Yeah. And so a lot of um doors felt like they were closing and you felt like you had to make a big change. So from that point, you thought to yourself, I'm I'm just paraphrasing. At that point you were like, How can I apply my gifts to do something perhaps a bit more positive?
1: Yes, definitely. And then it also came with the fact since I didn't have a career or a job, how was I making money on the side? I started doing remedies at home and offering them to friends. So it kind of just, you know, the light bulb came on like, hey, I could actually do this and open up a little online store and sell my remedies and sell my candles and keep me afloat until I figure things out. But what I didn't know was what it was eventually going to be about.
0: How incredible. So, for those who are just learning about your work, I mean, between your apothecary and your school of witchery, which we'll talk about, things really have exploded for you. You know, you have a really devoted following online um, and you're supporting yourself doing this work, which is fabulous. But I would love to know your background in terms of your magical practice, you mentioned Mm -hmm. your ancestors. I know that you are a member of the Taino tribe. Would you mind just catching up listeners in terms of your roots and where all of your magic comes from?
1: So I'm I'm lucky enough to know my roots. A lot of people are, are not familiar with where their magic comes from. But one of the advantages I've had growing up was that I did know about my family history. Tainos, they come from the Antilles, the Caribbean islands, which is Puerto Rico, Cuba, Dominican Republic, and Jamaica. And the Tainos, they were always healers. They were the ones that were outside gardening, they were the ones using nature for magic or for healing um, for their rituals and their ceremonies. So it's something that's passed on through my entire lineage. And that's exactly how I work with my magic. My mother's side is where the Taino comes from. My father's side, they have Taino, but they're very big on acknowledging their African side. So they practice Santeria, which is a religion, another form of craft, and something that I didn't really connect to growing up. It's always been in my family, and I know about it, I know how to practice it, but I kind of went towards a more natural route, more of the nature-based spirituality and witchcraft.
0: Okay. And then when I look on your site, I see this really interesting blend of indigenous herbs and indigenous practices, but also, you know, some language and some products that, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I tend to associate with like modern European-American derived witchcraft like Wicca. Do you see that kind of blend in your own work or am I getting that totally wrong?
1: No, I'm not. uh, I don't practice Wicca. The difference between Wicca and having an indigenous craft is pretty much, you know, our rituals and our ceremony. Um, I know that Wicca is very nature-based, but they do worship, um, I believe, like deities and, and gods and things like that. We're very different from that. This is a lifestyle for me. It's not a religion. It's not, um, you know, just a short term um, thing that I'm doing. It's something that it's part of our life from the time we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. In my site, what I do is I do source from indigenous peoples as much as possible, especially this year. It's our 100% of our mission. I used to sell from a lot of other makers um, and support a lot of the small businesses. But because it's a new year, I always try to focus self-growth. Your branches, as well, um, go through growth and evolution. And so, my school and my shop are going through that evolution this year, where I'm focused more on only offering my own remedies, my own crafts, and also things from indigenous peoples to support and give back to them. Um, I work with a company also called Incausa. That's where I get like my incense, our soaps, and things like that, which are really sacred, and it gives. Back to the way of life of how they support themselves, and also this year, with every purchase that you make, you're actually planting a forest. That's how we like to say it. There is a tree planted with every dollar that you spend in our shop, which is something that we're working on. We're, right now, we're actually headed to helping the oceans. So I'm always on top of that, trying to push in purpose and mission into my my career as much as possible. You know, you have to not only talk the talk, but you have to walk it.
0: Absolutely. And and first of all, thank you for correcting me. I suppose one of the reasons that I jumped to that wrong conclusion was okay. um, the word witch to me is a word that I don't often see used in an indigenous context. Right. Um, even though it's different um, translations of that word are used all over the world, um, in all different cultures, and have been for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So when did you start using the word witch?
1: Well, when it was the, it's a translation of bruja. Bruja in Spanish means witch in English. And also for my indigenous roots, it would be just curandera, healer. Mm -hmm. But if I was like, you know, I'm a curandera, there's a hundred million people, what the hell is that? You know, so... To make it easier and of course for simple definition, which is the word that I use. And I also wanted to kind of bring it back from its history. The word has a lot of negative um, energy around it. You know, how they depict us on TV or even the media. We're always worshiping being something evil or we're up to no good. So bringing it back into this space where... Our witches are healers, we're brujas, we're curanderas, it kind of brings back the true definitions of what witches really were, even from whatever culture, from whatever practice. There were women of the community, women who helped each other and helped each other rise, who healed, who knew remedies, who were badass women. And bringing that new face back to the word, it has helped a lot of people kind of say, you know what, it makes sense to me in this in this space. Than in another space that they would have seen it on TV or something.
0: Absolutely. So, how did you learn to do herbalism and all of these different healing modalities? Was it through your family directly?
1: My grandmother, my great grandmother, my mother, my aunts, <laughs> and then I actually went to school. I'm constantly learning. Even yesterday, I had I purchased like seven books I have in my house. I don't even remember the titles because I they just came from Amazon. I'm constantly learning. It's just something that you have to keep up no matter you know what your background is, no matter what schooling you did. It's something that's every single day that you learn something new. For me, learning herbalism, I learned it in a different way. It wasn't book. It was more connection. So I learned how to connect to the plant, connect to the herbs and listen to them and feel their energy and listen to my ancestors or my guides who were always guiding me into which ones needed to be used and certain remedies and things like that. But that's how I work when
0: I make medicine. How fabulous. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I've been an enormous fan of blood milk jewels for years. That's because their jewelry incorporates elements of so many fascinating and beautiful inspirations like Victoriana, Jungian alchemy, surrealism, and melancholia. Each piece has a story that adds to the aesthetic and talismanic qualities, and they're meant to be worn as psychic armor. These jewels are made from sterling silver and are encrusted in natural gemstones, including moonstone, labradorite, and onyx. Blood Milk jewels are stunning and powerful, and my favorite part of all is that they've been female-owned and operated in Philadelphia since 2008. If you're local, be sure to check out their showroom and event space opening in the spring of 2019. But of course, anyone, anywhere can order Blood Milk Jewels by going to bloodmilkjewels.com. That's bloodmilkjewels.com or at bloodmilk on Instagram. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Juliette Diaz. So Juliet, we were talking about your lineage and how you've learned herbalism and some of these different healing modalities. And the question comes up for me, and I'm sure it comes up for you many, many times, this question of who your consumers are, and how people who don't have the same background as you, especially white people like me, can respectfully engage in some of these different products that you are selling, in some of these different healing practices. And I know that there's so much for us to excavate together. But do you have any initial thoughts regarding the fact that you are selling some of these practices to presumably everybody. And and how do you kind of reconcile that?
1: Yeah. So the products that we sell, we can't control who buys online. And that was very something of a concern because it does come up, especially for me in my own mind. How do we Sell something, for instance, say like Sage or Palo Santo, and have it be respected the way it needs to be. So, if you go onto my site and you go to these products, I have the description of what the product is, but I also have its history and how to use and respect it. This year, as I was mentioning before a little while, that we're going to post videos in my products so i will have a video for each of the products in my site and every single video i will be speaking about where it comes from how it should be used and if you're not of that particular culture for that particular Item, I will direct you to another item on the shop. For instance, if you're not going to use the Palo Santo properly and you don't feel comfortable buying it because I just mentioned it, it's culture, I could say, okay, you could go ahead and head to the frankincense or head to the cedar or juniper. And I would direct you to a different product where it won't be, you know, culture appropriation or anything like that. The same thing with the school. Well, the school, we don't have anything that's culture related. There's no practices that we're appropriating from in there. It's open for everybody. So there's like tarot, astrology, And soon we're going to start changing the school design and focus into more of a healing school where you learn more about herbalism, connecting to yourself and things to that nature rather than sharing a bunch of crafts and practices.
0: So I guess I would love to drill down a little bit more in terms of appropriation, if that's okay with you. Sure. Because as, and I'll just speak for myself, you know, as a witch and a white person who You know, I I think I'm pretty well informed and try to be as compassionate and open minded as I can be and listen and then modify my behavior based on what I've learned, especially in the past few years where there's a lot more conversation around appropriation versus appreciation. But And let's also be clear, you are one person, you know, you do not speak for all indigenous people. But but in your opinion, when it comes to, let's say, using white sage, which is sold in bundles at Urban Outfitters, it's sold at Whole Foods, it's sold at every witch shop, and new age shop, you know, you go into pretty much. Is there a way in your opinion that a white person or a non-Indigenous person can use white sage? Or is that something that you find really offensive and upsetting?
1: I don't find it offensive or upsetting. What I find offensive is, I believe, I forget who it was, was it Sephora was connected to some company where they were selling it alongside Terrell and um, Crystals. When you're selling it to make profit this is not just for white people. This is for everybody. Even There's even people who have indigenous blood and they don't follow culture. That's not their lifestyle. Um, for anybody who wants to purchase anything at all, just find out where it's coming from, where it's sourced from. See if it's something that gives back to the people who crafted it or grew it and, it would help them as well as the person who's selling it. Make sure that there's correct information. Just really figure out what the company is about and how they're handling these products. I would never go into a Whole Foods and buy their incense and their sage or anything like that. I don't know where they're sourcing it from. And there's really no respect in having them you know, just hanging there next to like all these other products. So for me, it's more having that respect of getting it from somewhere who sources it from indigenous peoples or from people who respect it the way it should be respected.
0: So for you, it's more about the origin and it's about supporting the people from which these practices derive. So there is a version where as long as and this is, again, in your opinion, but as long as a non-Indigenous person is sourcing it from Indigenous people who are getting paid and who are contextualizing it properly, you think that's okay?
1: It's okay. And also don't use it the same way they would. So if you're trying to mimic their ceremony or their ritual you know that's where the problems are that's where people don't appreciate that but if you're using it like you mentioned you know you've learned about the appropriation and you you kind of use it in your own way then that's totally fine I can't speak for everybody else trust me I know a lot of people who this would anger mm-hmm. um, and will be like Juliet. come on now like you should be angrier yes. there's no point for me to be angry about anything right now for me the focus is that we really need to all come together. Like that's the focus. Mm-hmm. That's where we need to really open up our minds and our eyes and say, you know, what? we need to respect each other, but at the same time, unite each other. And it's not going to be accomplished if we keep yelling at each other or, you know, attacking, because I see this even in my school, people of color were attacked the white people in my comments. And I'm like, instead of attacking them, educate them. And in a nice way, because a lot of these people learn this from the Internet, like they get wrong information from articles or maybe from a friend who got it from another friend. And, and it's just like wrong information passed down. So I don't believe in attacking anybody. I believe in maybe reaching out to them, maybe educating them a little bit, talking about how we could resolve this and not make them feel like they're not any good. We're all the same. I feel like we should all be on the same level, not belittle anybody or step on top of anybody. We're not better than anybody. And I think if we just took time to be more patient and to really educate without yelling or being aggressive, that we would all come to like common ground.
0: Yes. Yes. I really appreciate hearing you say that because I know as a white person who knows a lot of white people who are like really well-meaning, but still fuck up all the time. I can just say that, you know, I've seen... People change, but they're j I think it's human nature that that if people feel really defensive, they're gonna be more resistant to changing. And, yes. and that doesn't mean that people should be let off the hook or that we don't deserve to be called out on our bullshit or insensitivity or ignorance. We absolutely should. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just it just comes down to like communication style, you know
1: it really does. And I kind of asked myself that, how do you approach this Juliet? You know, you offer this in my storefront and in my storefront is easier because my sister works here. My mother works here. So we're really on top of the customers who come in here and we communicate. We have more conversations here than we do with our real friends. It's insane. So (laughs) we're doing our job here. And uh, most of the time they come in looking for Sage and we ask them, you know, what are you going to use it for? What is it for? Instead of, you know, judging them. And when We allow them to tell us their story or why they want to use it. And naturally, it always comes out to them needing something else. It's never really the sage. People have to understand that sage is known for being healing and cleansing things that you don't want in your life. When people come into my shop, they look at all my herbs, which is like juniper, mugwort, cedar, and they call all of them sage. They're exactly. like, oh. So I'm like, <laughs> no, it's actually you know, an herb bundle. And um, sage is this herb will be here. And I'll show them that. Most of them don't even know what it looks like. A lot of people don't. And then I say, this is what sage is for, the white sage is for. And then I have mountain sage, and this is what it's for. And we have little cards that say what it's for and how it should be used and things like that. And it's taught me or brought it to my attention that I should do the same with my site. For people who've been going to my site for years, they'll see that it's been a big change and we're still changing. I still have to work on it more where we have that beautiful communication within each product. That's why I want to make videos so I could speak on the description and kind of connect with people and teach them so they don't have to go looking for it on Google or anything like that.
0: Yes. And I have to say, you know, not everybody in your position would have the emotional bandwidth to do that kind of labor and time. So it's incredibly generous of you that you are taking the time to educate people. And I'm really, really appreciative because I know it takes a lot of work and a lot of patience. But it is my responsibility, you know,
1: like if someone that was like me and they have their own shops. Anybody, even white people who have their shops, and you sell sage and you sell Palo Santo, it's your responsibility to have these notes in that description. It's your responsibility to respect the product and respect where it comes from and kind of maybe shift your business around a little bit. Hopefully I inspire a lot of people with this big shift that I'm doing with the uh, with my shop. If people have wanna know where I get them, they could email me. And I'll you know, gladly help them and direct them to where the sources are, because it would be really stupid for me to just keep that information for myself and, you know, not spread it. It, It's all about really spreading it around.
0: Mm -hmm. So I have another question for you, if you don't mind educating me, which is the word smudge is a word that I've heard is perhaps not a word that non-Indigenous people should be using. I've heard that a smudge ceremony is such a specific ceremony that if someone like me were to use sage to do a smoke cleansing, that Mm. to call it a smudging is actually disrespectful because a smudge ceremony is a very specific ceremony. Is that correct information?
1: It is actually smudging. So even in my book in the back, I actually talk about respect within the witch community. And I talk specifically about that. It's just little key words. Like um, you shouldn't even use the word chakra. You shouldn't use the word uh, gypsy, smudging. My entire book, even if I'm indigenous, it doesn't give me the right to use the word smudging or smudge within my book. And in my book, I actually use the word herb bundle or herb stick throughout or smoke cleansing, just so that the readers who read it and don't read that last chapter, that little chapter about appropriation, they get the terms throughout the book, they see how I'm using them, and they learn new ways to say it. But it is very offensive to a lot of Native Americans, the ones who do this kind of ceremony ritual with the word smudge and
0: and smudging. Okay, so calling it a smoke cleansing is okay, just don't call it a smudging.
1: Yeah, it's the term because it's a ritual. It's the name of the ritual. So smoke um, cleansing um, using herb stick or herb bundle
0: instead of, you know, smudge stick. It's more appropriate. Okay, that's great. And you know, I certainly heard about the term gypsy um, being one that we've evolved past using because it's a, a slur. It didn't strike me that chakra would be a term that would be offensive to anybody. I was under the impression that from a Hindu or a tantra perspective, that that is just the name of those different energy nodes on the body.
1: Well, energy knows is exactly what they would say to use a set of chakras. That's just from research of doing, you know, what words not to use. That was one that would come up a lot. I don't personally use it, but I know a lot of people who do. But it would be something that we would have to like look into more and see if it's
0: something that really does become offensive. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to dig into that one more. Oh,
1: one more. Oh, please. Spirit animal. Don't use spirit animal. Yeah, everybody's using it so loosely, like my best friend's my spirit animal or blah, blah, blah. It, it's something that appropriated from the culture. And, you know, it's really frowned upon. Like, I mean, I was attacked once for using it. And, you know, people who don't even know who I was when I first started. And I'm like, wow, there are things that you shouldn't say because it triggers and it's really offensive for you to use it.
0: Okay, that's that's really good to know. I I have heard that about spirit animal, actually. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that from the perspective of somebody who, you know, that term is extremely loaded with context and many, many thousands of years of tradition and meaning that to have people use it kind of casually or in kind of a teasing way or a figurative way might be offensive.
1: That's something I've always loved about you. You're very educated. You do your research. And I love that you're doing this podcast. And I love that you're, you know, also educating people of all cultures and practices. This is what we need more of. And I thank you for that.
0: Oh, well, thank you. And as listeners know, I'm learning all the time. I make mistakes all the time. And I really appreciate the generosity of people like you who will allow for the fact that I'm going to get stuff wrong sometimes. So the appreciation is very, very mutual. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Tarot for the Wild Soul an eight-week online tarot course taught by intuitive tarot reader and teacher and prior Witchwave podcast guest, Lindsay Mack. This award-winning course is a deep immersion into card theory, tarot spreads, and intuitive expansion presented and taught through a soul-centered lens. Tarot for the Wild Soul is designed to support, enliven, and enrich your tarot experience, infusing you with an advanced knowledge of the deck, a deeper understanding of the cards, and a greater confidence in your skills as a reader. Tarot for the Wild Soul runs from March 21st to May 9th of this year. To sign up for the class or learn more, visit tarotforthewildsoul.com and be sure to use code WITCH for 10% off your tuition. Trust me, you don't want to miss this opportunity to learn from the incredible Lindsay Mack. So go on ahead to tarotforthewildsoul.com and use code WITCH for 10% off your tuition. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Juliet Diaz. So, Juliet, I saw some pretty incredible footage of you on Instagram recently. I believe you were at the Indigenous People's March in Washington, D.C., is that right? Yes. And this was just a couple weeks back, and I saw you with members of the Taino tribe, and you were giving this incredible... I'll call it an invocation, you know, this beautiful (laughs) speech. And I believe you did a prayer as well. Can you talk about what exactly it was that you were doing and why you decided to be part of that incredible event?
1: So I was honored with the decision to do prayer in front of hundreds and hundreds of Native Americans from, and not just Native Americans, but Indigenous from all over the world. I can't tell you how scared I was. I mean, I was sweating so much. It was freezing outside, but I think I was sweating like I think 10 pounds off of my body. So so nervous because there were prayers going on before mine and they were just so powerful from these indigenous tribes. And I'm like, why am I up here? Like how did this happen? Again, that mindset where you don't think you're good enough or this is not meant for you. And it just took me about, I don't know, maybe five minutes to really calm myself down right before they called my name and went up there to do the prayer. So they wanted me to do a prayer in my Taino's original language which was with Attawak. They wanted us to represent our original language.
0: Mm.
1: And on top of that, you know, no pressure, not messing up the words <laughs> or oh, the language. Yes. It was a singing prayer. So I was singing plus speaking at a and trying to focus on really staying calm and sending these healing energies out. So after the prayer, everybody was, you know, clapping and yelling and so happy about it that I don't know what the hell happened to me. I grabbed <laughs> the mic. I was not supposed to give a speech. Let me just. Tell you that first. I grabbed the <gasps> microphone. My mom, she laughed when she saw it. She's like el indio se te metió. What that means is the Indian, the Native American, indigenous soul, your ancestor jumped in your body. <laughs> so, mm. and I don't remember what the heck I said until after the video went viral. By the time I got to the hotel, the video was all over Twitter. Just um, I think AJ Plus got a hold of it and spread it. And then I was watching myself while I was in, in the bed, taking my clothes off. And I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell happened to me? <laughs> but it was this pure love and this pure magic that came out of me that I wanted to reach out to everybody that was there because I felt everyone, you know, When you're in the presence of so many Indigenous people and so many people whose families have gone through so much, those emotions are in the air and they were just wrapped around me. And there was nothing else that I wanted to do more than to hold everybody and to hug everybody and to kiss them. And the speech just came out where, you know, I wanted to let everybody know that it's okay because we're seen as we have to be gentle, right? We have to be peaceful, yes, that's what our ancestors want from us. And I have to respect that. And and that's the path that I, I'm walking, trying to be more compassionate about what's happened to us and what's happening and taking care of it in a, in a peaceful, healing way. But I wanted to let everybody know that there's no shame in feeling anger about what's happened to our people or what's happening. Just with that speech alone afterwards, I didn't have a moment of peace myself. Mm-hmm. I had TVs on me, journalists wanting to interview me, indigenous people just giving me these hugs that, oh my God, I think they healed me for like 10 years of trauma of my life. It was just so amazing. And um, I'm just happy that it happened. Sometimes you have to let that fire out and trust it. No matter how much fear you have inside you, you you don't know what is in there until you let it out. And I didn't know that was in me until that moment, until I saw it in that video, and I cried
0: watching myself speak. Yeah, when when I watched the video, I mean, the language you used too. If I'm recalling, you were talking about sweetness and and how traditionally, like you just said, there's this association with native people as needing to be healers and have this sweetness or gentleness, but that it's okay to have that fire too. And I love that image of fire. It's such a powerful one because yes, fires can blaze and be angry, but they also illuminate, you know, they shed light and they warm Mm -hmm. and they're healing as well. So I thought it was such a powerful message and I was really moved by it.
1: Yeah, it was it's all about that. It's all about just acknowledging everything that's in you. You know, my Taino people, they were the first to be tortured and murdered by Columbus when that happened. And we knew that the Tainos, they fought back. They tried to, you know, protect their children, protect their wives. You know, they weren't just being peaceful, but it got to the point that they couldn't be peaceful anymore. They had to fight back. And I'm not speaking for all Native Americans and all Indigenous people because everybody has different ways of handling things. And I believe that a lot of them are very peaceful in their way of approaching issues like this. And I have a lot to learn. I am nowhere near perfect. And I don't think that I'm a great representation of what um, an Indigenous person would be. I still have practice. I still have learning and lessons. As a matter of fact, this Saturday, we're closing my shop because they're honoring me as a healer in my tribe and congratulations thank you and it it shocked me so much because I know I'm a healer I know my abilities I know the person that I am I know I'm very compassionate but I have to walk this 100% and it's scary as fuck it's like I don't want to fuck it up, you know, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. you know, what I say, what I do, but I believe just like when I was scared on my knees, when I left my career, my relationship and I lost my home, that this is another rebirth in my life where I would eventually, maybe a year from now, look back at this and I'm like, oh my God, I was such a scary little person (laughs) when I was first talking about this. That's a message that I like to tell everybody is like, you know, you're never going to be ready. It's never going to be perfect. You just have to initiate that first step to get into that position where you want to be or what you desire. And eventually everything just aligns and all the lessons and everything that you need to know about what you want to do will eventually become you. And just to kind of face that fear. And that's, you know, exactly what I'm telling myself now that it's okay for me not to be perfect, not to know everything about this, but to make sure that I'm going to be 100% devoted. And I think that's the difference between someone who takes advantage of something and someone who really steps into it for a reason and a purpose.
0: Ah, that's so powerful. It makes me think of Joseph Campbell, who wrote a lot about the hero's journey. And he talks about how in every hero's journey, no matter what culture we're talking about, in these stories, the hero often has what's called The call. The hero is beckoned or summoned, and the hero almost always doesn't feel ready and Mm -hmm. says, "Uh, why me? I'm not ready. Who am I to do this? And, And sometimes the hero resists it, but eventually the hero then goes on the quest and says yes to the quest. And, and it sounds to me like that's what's happening for you. And I don't think bravery is lack of fear. I think bravery is having fear and doing Mm -hmm. it anyway. Definitely.
1: The things I've surrendered to for purpose is insane, but I'm incredibly grateful for everything for every day. I'm really, really grateful.
0: And I saw on Instagram, you shared a video that you were also recently given a tribal name. Is that correct? Yes. It's Bawa Iranu. Ah, beautiful. And can you tell us what that translates to? Ocean Woman. And
1: when they came to me, my chief and leader and healer of the tribe. They stepped up to me while we were in ceremony. And I'm like, oh my gosh, am I in trouble? Because it was right after the march, (laughs) the week after. (laughs) I'm like, I bet you I'm in trouble. So they came and the ancestors had come through and were speaking to them and told them that they were ready to honor me with a name, which was Mind-blowing. I couldn't even contain myself. Just tears came out like um, I was just like a little child crying. Mm-hmm. Um, with them giving me that name and Ocean Woman, it's incredibly crazy because my teachings with my ancestors, since I was very little, a lot of my dreams and visions, they have ocean in it, rivers in it. It's all water. Most of the healing that I was taught to do was with water. Cleansings is with water. So, they didn't know this information. I keep this to myself. And when they gave me that name, it just, you know, it was just like this powerful, powerful moment that they were there. And they gave me a rightful name. It was just insane. It was beautiful and crazy. And then the week after that, that's when they announced that they were uh, making a headdress for me, a healer's headdress that I have to be there on Saturday, no matter what, because they're doing a huge ceremony and ritual to honor me and as a healer.
0: Oh, congratulations. That is so inspiring. I'm just so, so happy for you. And, you know, you're such an inspiring person to so many outside the community too. So I'm not surprised to hear that the same is true within this tribe. Here's a logistical question. When you're talking about these meetings with your chief, let's say, or with your tribe, is this literally happening in New Jersey? Is this something that happens frequently? I, I know so little about like the rhythms and the cadence of somebody who is a contemporary Indigenous person.
1: Yes. So our meetings are actually held in New York. And we go there, we practice our ancestral dances, our ancestral language. It's kind of like church for us. Where We're there with our community, with our people. Um, we bring food at the end of the, the meeting. We get together, we eat food, we laugh, we talk after we have learned. Our chief, he tells a story. So it's, it's kind of like it's really beautiful. And, and a lot of lessons that you learn, he'll tell us stories from our ancestors or stories that he's learned along his journey. And it's always something very inspirational
0: for us, something that we always mm-hmm. learn. Mm, and and is this happening on a monthly basis where it depends on certain holy days or
1: um, every other week is when we get together. But definitely when there's like, for instance, the spring equinox or any major seasonal or ast- astrological events, we get together as well.
0: How beautiful. And do you ever get back to Cuba to be with folks there? Or is this all here in the States?
1: Yeah, I was supposed to go to Cuba this month. um, But Cuba, unfortunately, was hit with a really big tornado. So we've postponed it for June. And I'm actually going to go there. My husband, well, my boyfriend of nine years who hasn't proposed yet. <laughs> <laughs> he works for the sports industry, so he's he works with the cameras and things like that. So he's going to be recording everything. Um, we're going to go into the mountains and go into the indigenous lands there where the Tainos are and kind of record all of that to bring it back and, of course, share.
0: Oh, how fabulous. And are your children being raised in this tradition as well? Yes, 100%. They come with us. I think that for my
1: children, it's been a little bit easier than it was for me. My mom had just come from Cuba in the 80s, the infamous Mariel, um, the boat that came from Cuba to America. I was born maybe eight months after she arrived. So there was a lot of struggle for her once she got to this country. I mean, years of trying to get her footing right and rooted in this country. So it wasn't easy for me growing up. I wasn't told, you know, you're a witch. I wasn't told, you know, you're a curandera, healer. This is what our, what our history is, what our ancestors are about. I went through a lot of my childhood growing up not knowing any of this. It was just me watching my mom struggle and trying to put food on the table. And then, of course, watching her do this through our lifestyle. So mm-hmm. it wasn't talked to me verbally or physically. It was more of me watching her. And once I was older, she actually opened up about it and spoke about it more. So for me, it was really, really vital for me to teach my children from as soon as they could understand me speaking to them. So I would tell them stories. We have books about our ancestors, our Tainos. My children, I didn't force anything on them. They watched me. They watched me cooking and doing remedies until they finally started picking it up. And without me forcing them, they set up their own little altars by themselves. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I don't go and be like, oh, that's the wrong way to do it. There is no wrong way to do it. So I've allowed them to be free and to connect to themselves to guide them
0: along the way of who they really are. ah, That's wonderful. Now, speaking of teaching, we touched a little bit on your witchcraft school or your school of witchery. I know you're going to be renaming it soon. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about if someone wants to learn from you or some of the teachers who are part of the staff of your school, what can they do? Where can they go? What can they expect?
1: So when the school was created, I did not expect at all the amount of enrollments that would happen. I mean, within a week, I had to hire a whole team of people to help me control the amount of traffic coming into the school. I had to learn how to trust people very, very quickly. And I'm not someone who trusts really easily. So I had to hire instructors. I had about 42 instructors worldwide within three months creating courses for the school. I had a team of 11 people um, handling customer service, handling, you know, technical support and things like that. When we originally opened it, it was membership based and we would load three to four courses every month. And these courses, you know, the first thought of it was let's include everybody. Let's do courses on all crafts and all practices, not religions and not culture. And Juliet,
0: this is online courses, correct?
1: yes. Right now you could come to my my shop and take classes and workshops here, but before it was just strictly online and it was a world when a beautiful community was built. I mean, the school Instagram itself, it's almost at 100K, like less than a year. It was just, it's insane. We have over 76,000 students right now.
0: Amazing. And the classes are in things like tarot, astrology, palmistry, yes. crystals. I mean, it really is a wide swath of different healing modalities and divination modalities.
1: Yes. And the instructors that we have, they're really, really educated, just like yourself. (laughs) They do their research. I even have a witch historian, Emily. She writes for Sabbath magazine. She's a freaking amazing this woman. She creates courses on history as well. So all the courses were really research based on things that you couldn't just Google. People didn't want to have the wrong information. It was more of having the correct information, having the sources in the courses and learning from them, like in that form. But it got too crowded for me, too much for me to handle um, energetically. What is the purpose of the school? It has to have a purpose, Juliet, just like everything else you're doing. So I had to evolve with the school and kind of figure it out, what direction... Can we go in? It can't just be another school. You know, a lot of other online schools started opening up after my school. So what's going to make us different from those that are already opening up? What's the new direction? So we're naming the school Tierra Sagrada, which means sacred earth. And it's going to be a combination exactly of what my shop is, of what I am, which is healing this earth and saving her, healing the self and self-love. Courses are going to be shifting. We're not going to offer old courses anymore. We're keeping astrology, but things like tarot, we're going to kind of shift them. Tarot for self-love. Tarot for finding the true self. Things like that. So we're going to really focus on people finding themselves, connecting to themselves and their earth. So that's the focus of the school now.
0: Ah, oh, that sounds really, really powerful. And is the school open for anybody to enroll in? It is open for anybody. Literally anyone. How about
1: Uh, social media inside a school. So people post, they have their profiles, um, and in their profiles, they're able to network because they share their their own websites and their own social media. And so far, there hasn't been any issues with anybody kind of being mean to each other. Everybody loves each other in there. It's so sacred to watch, to see these people from all over the world, from all kinds of backgrounds and crafts and practices, just unite and get along and help each other. I really am proud of myself for kind of setting that energy and watching it live within
0: the school, which is really, really important. That's remarkable. I'm so happy to hear that. And then finally, I know you have a new book coming out. I'm sure people are going to want to read it. Congratulations. Can you tell us a little bit about what the book is and and when it's going to be released into the world?
1: So the book does release March 5th and is available for pre-order right now. I didn't want to write a book that, you know, someone else had written. Uh, When Hay House came to me and they said, you know, we want you to be the witch for Hay House. I was like, oh, my God. Again, like, what the hell is happening? (laughs) But how do I write something that's open for everyone? That's what I'm about. It's including everyone. How do I include everyone? What would it be focused on? So the book is focused on true magic, the magic that lives within you, root work. That's part one of the book. We work with what is magic? Where does it come from? What is it to you? Where has it shown up? Unleashing the power that you already have. Healing is huge in my book. So if you don't like facing your shadows or diving deep into the ocean of your soul, this book is not for you because this book is really for those who want to do the work. I am so big on if you want to call yourself a bruja, a a witch, you have to do the work. This is a lifestyle. This is not something that you just put on black clothes, post the aesthetic on Instagram, light up a candle, take a picture and say, hey, I'm a witch. No, there's work to be done. There really, really is. And if you want to learn how to connect to yourself and connect to that inner magic and connect to what the earth is trying to speak to us, which is an urgency of healing and protection, then this book is definitely for you because I teach you how to connect to the self and how to connect to the earth. How to use elements to amplify magic instead of using, you know, all the expensive stuff that people are trying to sell for you to amplify magic. It's all about using yourself, connecting to the self. And learning that that's where magic really comes from.
0: Well, it sounds so incredible. And I don't think actually we said the name of the book. What is the title? Witchery, Embrace the Witch Within. Yes, I love it. I can't (laughs) wait to read it, Juliet. I'm so, so happy for you. And I'm so happy for the world that it's going to be released into it soon. It's so necessary. And your voice is really, really vital and powerful. So congratulations. Thank you. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. So very quickly, can you just run listeners through where can they find you, whether in meat space or (laughs) e-space or plant space? Um, What's the best way that people can reach you? Definitely. If you want to follow me and everything I
1: do with like activism, my book and my shop and anything that comes up From my branches of my tree, Um, A Witch's Purpose on Instagram. It's um,
0: also on Facebook. And if you want to follow my shop, is November Sage. Perfect. And from there, they can find links to the School of Witchery, mm-hmm. um, which will be renamed very shortly, and yes. to all of your other projects. And I, I highly recommend people go to your personal Instagram, A Witch's Purpose, because you are really generous with your videos and and really helping people get a glimpse into – this world that, you know, a lot of us are not familiar with. And um, it's very, very generous of you. And it's a real education. So thank you so much for your openness. Thank you for having me. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Juliet Diaz for joining me and for helping to heal individuals and the greater world with her teaching, her bright spirit, and her wide open heart. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to recently? Drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and you might make it on the witchwire. The Witch Wave is produced and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Chiquita Pascal, and Francis F. Denny. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, whichwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots of sparkly stars. It makes a big, big difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchwavePod. Check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the app store. And please consider pre-ordering my book, Waking the Witch, which is out on June 4th of this year. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.